0: We think that LLMs are going to change how people interact with software. Let's say you're using a piece of software and you don't know how to do something. The experience that we're building is you can type in what you want to do, just describe the task you're trying to accomplish, and then we will just take you to the part of the application where you can do that thing. We'll just kind of teleport you there. We think that this is just like a fundamentally better experience than hunting and clicking for like the place where you want to perform the thing.
1: Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio. A biweekly weekly series where we discuss modern web development with maintainers, founders, and developers. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor and developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter, at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Matt Dupree. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It is a a wonderful, gloomy, (laughs) overcast day here in Oakland, California and uh, on my first cup of coffee. So just just getting started.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm on like a half cup of coffee. Uh, I like try and minimize my caffeine intake. So I was like, I think I only need half today.
1: Normally, uh, I don't I don't do coffee till the afternoon. I've been doing tea in the morning. But we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about Atlas and what you're working on. So, do you want to give us a quick intro of who you are? What do you do?
0: Yeah, sure. So, who I am in one sentence: uh, wanna be philosophy professor turned wanna be tech entrepreneur. I, I've been saying that for a long time, but I guess the wanna be tech entrepreneur part is like not as true. Like I I'm doing it now. Yeah. Uh, so. Background was in philosophy, left, left philosophy, worked at various startups for like the past decade, uh, mostly as a programmer, but also, you know, as a, as a product manager, tech lead. I was the CTO at like an influencer marketing startup for a little bit. Uh, and then most recently, I was on the data science team at Heap. Uh, so Heap is like a product analytics company. It's kind of like an Amplitude. Uh, that's the bigger one that people are familiar with. Heap actually just got acquired.
1: Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, uh, Who did you acquire acquired
0: by? Uh, Content Square. Okay. But in any case, yeah, joined Heap originally on the engineering team and then kind of got my way out into the data science team there and and got to play around with a lot of machine learning stuff and AI stuff and and data science. And so that was, um, yeah, that's my background. And then, yeah, left Heap about, uh, let's see, wow, 18, almost 18 months ago now to start working on Atlas. So that's my background.
1: Okay, excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, and then Alice is your, your your first, I guess you could say you're now your tech entrepreneur.
0: Yeah. I, I, I guess like I've had other kind of failed attempts at starting something. So I guess I was still a wannabe tech entrepreneur at that point. Uh, like I, I tried something in 2016 where I quit my job and did a little accelerator program and ran out of money pretty quickly and realized the idea wasn't good. And then I actually, right as I joined Heap, me and a buddy built like a ways for grocery availability thing for like the pandemic. Yeah. Like my buddy and I were running around looking for toilet paper, like going to a bunch of different stores and we're like, this doesn't seem like a good way to like not get COVID. (laughs) Like, you you have to check like five different stores for the thing you're looking for. And so the idea was like, people could just report if there was, you know, toilet paper at a particular location with a particular timestamp. And then instead of having to go to like five different uh, stores, like you're just like, oh, So and so just said that there's toilet paper 10 minutes ago. I'm going to go there. And that thing took off like crazy, as you might imagine. Uh, Like the news covered it and stuff. Wow. But yeah, uh, Apple wanted to shut it down. They were, you know, this is a COVID app and you're not a a, a doctor or like any kind of medical organization or like what? This is not a COVID app. Like it's (laughs) a toilet paper app. (laughs) It's related to COVID, but like anyway, they didn't care. So they shut it down and uh, blah, blah, blah. That moved on from that. So this is my maybe my third attempt, I guess.
1: Okay, man, that's unfortunate because yeah, it's kind of like the um, I, I think of like ways. I don't know if they still have this as a feature, but like if there's like an accident or like uh, a speed trap, you'd like tell other people by just like reporting it. Yeah. Uh, so kind of like ways for toilet paper is what you built.
0: Yeah, ways for toilet paper slash anything you might need d- during the pandemic, or yeah. it's not even. This is what we told Apple is, it's like it's not necessarily pandemic. It's like anytime there's a shortage of any good because. So I live in Florida. There's hurricanes. Yeah. Whenever there's a hurricane, similar dynamic—like stuff goes missing from the shelves. You need to, you know, it'd be useful to know like what's what's kind of around. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of the idea.
1: Yeah, and so you're on a new idea, which is Atlas. Um, so, can you explain what Atlas is?
0: Yeah, I can't. I'm actually like I'm right in the middle of like changing how I talk about what we're doing, and so I, yeah, I'm gonna like try out this this new way of framing things, and you can tell me. If it doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah. We heard it first. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry that Jamstack is the guinea pig on this. But um, but yeah, I think the new way that I like to frame this is basically we think that LLMs are going to change how people interact with software. Like mobile happened, and that changed the way that people interacted with software, right? And like the companies that that really took advantage of that kind of UI paradigm shift, they did well. Um, there were some startups that took advantage of that and like were able to kind of compete against incumbents. And, you know, like, so an easy example, of this is, like, Tinder, right? Like, the swipe left, swipe right. Like, that was just, like, a kind of a simple, you know, UX change, but, like, it's, it was just a better user experience and allowed them to take on the big guys, right? Yeah. We think that there's, like, a similar thing that's going to happen with LLMs, where, like, you know, we all know that LLMs are really powerful, and we think that, we don't think that, like, UIs are going away. Like, not even OpenAI thinks that, by the way. But, like, so we don't think UIs are going away. We think that, like, there's this, like, LLM powered like UI that's going to be built in the future, and like we're helping companies kind of build that. So that's okay. That's a little philosophical, right? Unsurprising from like the philosophy guy. Concretely, like what does that look like? Uh, so like an experience that we're that we're really focused on right now is um, let's say you're using a piece of software and you don't know how to do something. Yeah. The experience that we're building is you can type in what you want to do. Just describe the task you're trying to accomplish, and then. We will just take you to the part of the application where you can do that thing. Uh, Like we'll just we'll just kind of teleport you there, right? And um, we think that this is just like a fundamentally better experience than hunting and clicking for like the place where you want to perform the thing. Uh, So let's say like we we just did this with GitHub. We did like a little public demo, and it's like let's say the task is enable two factor authentication. They're pushing that right now. Yeah. Right. Like this is like it's going to be required soon. Um, And let's say you like, you saw the banner that's like, we're requiring this soon. Uh, You should do it. And you're like, X out. I don't want to do that right now. But we're getting close to the end of the year. And now you want to remember how to do it. So your options, like right now, your options are like, go to, like, you can look at the docs or something like that. Or like, maybe there's like some YouTube video that explains how to do it. Or like with Atlas, and this is what we just demoed, like, you just type like, enable two factor authentication. And then like, we will jump you to the page where you can do that. So it's like, don't look at the docs. GitHub actually has really good like UX copy and progressive disclosure. So you can like hunt and click around and like find the thing pretty easily. But we think it's just fundamentally better. It's a fundamentally better way of interacting with software to just like say what you want to do and then boom, get transported to the place where you can do it.
1: Yeah. And what's the, um, I guess going back to the ways for toilet paper, but like what's a, if there's not a way to like plan to do it. So like between the last time we talked, so we talked. Before we got on this podcast, like a, a few weeks ago, probably, yeah, uh, we actually revamped a, quite a bit of our docs to have like a pave. Uh, what we had is like guides, yeah. Uh, so we have guides now, like, hey, you're this persona of user, you're trying to do this thing. We know people ask for this, so here's a guide. But the reason why those guides exist is because people keep asking us, "How do I do this thing?" And right, I saw in front of the the website I could do a thing, and I thought it was this. How do I do this? And we have to like we basically just turn out a guide to basically say, "Okay, do this thing." But it sounds like instead of us pointing people to guides we can point them to the site right. and like walk them through the process so like is that interactivity in the in the actual app itself
0: yes yes thank you for asking that question like that's a that's a good like that's a good clarifying question so yeah this is all happening like inside of the application because we think like this is like i think another way in which i think the way that we interact with software will change so like if you think about let's let's do like a map analogy so let's go back to like before google maps before apple carplay Like if you're trying to get somewhere in the world and you're going on a road trip, it's you and then like somebody else is in the front seat, they're the co-pilot. They've got this big paper map that's strewn across the dashboard, right? And it's kind of this clunky experience. It's like the map is kind of divorced from the experience of driving. And like you need a person to like kind of translate between what they're seeing in the map and what they're seeing in the world. And it's, it's, it's not great, right? Fast forward that to now with Google Maps and Apple CarPlay where you have a map That is updating in real time based on your location in the world. And it's like, it's just really easy for you to like glance at it and like kind of know where you're at and where you're going. And so it's a really streamlined experience. And that's kind of the vision we have too for like we, there's like a similar shift that we think will happen with LLMs and UIs, where like people don't really, they won't really want the guide that's separate from the app that like feels a little bit clunky. Like they'll want the like streamlined in-app. Experience where you're getting this guidance. You know, it knows where you are in the app and knows kind of where you want to go and it's like really like in real time helping you do what, what you need to do.
1: Yeah. And this is weird flex. I drive a Tesla and I use like the Tesla map thing or whatever. Not
0: a weird flex. Teslas are great.
1: Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. what I don't like about the Tesla is like I think Google Maps and Apple have much a better map software. I'll just say that right now. I know Tesla kind of uses maybe Google's API or somebody's. Uh, but what I'm getting at is like, I constantly miss exits. So if I'm driving and like, oh okay, uh, this exit's coming up, let me prepare you for it. And I think what Google does a great job of, it like gives you a heads up. Waze does this as well. It's like, hey, get in this lane. Uh, I don't get that from Tesla. Um, so I can't like again. My wife hates it all the time because like I, I miss the exit. We gotta turn around, do like the three the three left turns, uh, <laughs> and then eventually get to the right place. Yeah. So it sounds like with with Atlas, you have it's interactivity and it's it's gonna get you in the right lane at the right time. Yeah. So I guess my question is like, how how do you interact with someone's app then? Yeah. Like, am I in- integrating this in my APIs or am I is it like an extension? What what's the deal?
0: Great question. Well, so one thing I want to clarify really quickly. So I like this analogy that you have here, but there's at some point all analogies break down. And like yeah. one thing that we think is gonna change with LLMs is and then this is like it kind of breaks down the like the moving in the world analogy. Like when you move in the world, you don't just teleport from one place to another. There's like a bunch of intermediate steps. Yeah. And that is true when we interact on the web. For the most part, if we don't know where we're going, we have to perform a series of intermediate steps. And if the app is well designed, we have really nice like UX copy and kind of like signposts to to get us to the right place. That's kind of the best that we can do right now without LLMs. Yeah. But with LLMs, if you have a map of the software, and you have a description of where the user wants to go the user doesn't have to do the intermediate steps anymore like they're not, they they do not have to like do the thing where like oh take this exit and like you know turn here the click by click directions that can go away like you can just go directly to where you want to go to this is like right it's just cuz we're traveling digitally we're not like moving in the physical world yeah so there's like a, a skeuomorphic thing that that we have in the web uh, where we're it's it's kind of modeled off of like moving through physical space but that can go away with LLMs and like these maps of software. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it, it goes away. But then the the I don't know if we, we lean into this skeuomorphism. Like I know everyone has like their chat interaction when it comes to LLMs. Of uh, what well, everyone, sure. But like that's the ChatGPT gave us like the mental model of like okay, you have an LLM. How do I interact with it? Oh, chat. Right. And now we have like with uh, voice um, that now opening eyes, like the the voice companion as well, where you're like oh, let me just tell you a thing and you talk it back to me. Now we're in a in a place where, sorry, like we're, we're verging off of Atlas, but like we'll get back there in a second. But like when we had, no,
0: no we don't have to talk about Atlas. Like this AI stuff is cool. Let's talk about AI. But yeah.
1: The so like Alexa and Cortana and like all these other devices that you talk to, they all it felt like they all had the thing that we're actually building into. Sure. And even like even a better use case, but it doesn't seem like the investments going back into those like devices, despite the fact that like now we're kind of rebuilding those devices with our our ChatGPT and our now we talk to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the like chat interaction. So this is this is like a part of our vision for like LLMs and like the future of UIs is like. So a lot of people think UIs will just go away, right? Like, we're, there's going to be a lot of more of this like chat interaction, and we think that that's like pretty overstated. And like actually, if you if you remember the there was a a demo that OpenAI did for TED, and it was it was this was a while ago. This was when they were like talking about chat GPT plugins. And they demoed this feature where you could like ask ChatGPT to suggest a meal, and then it would give a list of you know recipe ingredients, and then it would hook up to the Instagram API, and you would get dropped into the their UI, and it, and it had like you know all, all the ingredients in your shopping cart, and then you could click checkout, right? And, and then Greg Brockman is like, he's like, see, but I don't think UIs are going anywhere because if I want to change what's in my cart for Instacart. I just want to like tap the plus button, like, oh, I want more quinoa. Or I just want to like remove quinoa. Like, I don't want to type out or even say, like, add more quinoa. Like, it's just faster to just be able to visually see what's in your cart and then like boop, tap the plus button and you're done. And so I think there are so many instances like that where a user interface that that we where we can like visually see what's going on and like interact with it, that's actually going to be the superior way of interacting with with the software. Maybe not all the time, but there's, it, like, we are visual creatures. Like, we, uh, like, the the neural pathways for vision are, like, older, more primitive and faster than the neural pathways for, like, language. And so, like, I think it's just going to be faster and more convenient in a lot of cases for us to use UIs. So that, that, that won't go away. I don't, I don't know if I, like, got on a soapbox or a tangent there.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm intrigued that I, 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 and I honestly, I agree as well, like, we're we're definitely inherently visual people. Yeah. Like, I, I think of the the guy on TikTok. I forgot his name, but he, he was, like, number one for a while. He's an Italian guy. Uh-huh. And he only interacted without speaking. So the, the whole gimmick was he would look at these random, like, DIY, like, build a thing. But then he would just, like, show the easier way to do it. Uh-huh. But he never spoke in any of his videos. It was just, like, non-speaking comedy. And uh, he rose to the top charts. And mm. the fact is he doesn't speak English. So he's like only speaks Italian, and he was able to break into the the U.S. TikTok just by not talking.
0: Yeah, leaving language out of it and being visual—that's
1: super interesting. Copy Lame, that's his name. Copy Lame. Copy Lame. Yeah. So, yeah, he he he's been in some Super Bowl commercials. I don't even know if he still does TikTok, to be quite honest, because I'm not as (laughs) I'm not as into TikTok anymore. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he exists. But you you had mentioned something in passing of like when folks go to look to do like use a piece of software, a dev tool. Like my use case is, I just go Google and see someone's YouTube. Like, there's something on YouTube, like a quick walkthrough. So, like my example is, I was using Table Plus, which is like a embed your database, and then you could do some SQL commands and play around with it. They have a feature where you could add an OpenAI key, and then it generates some SQL for you. And I'm like, I know this, I know it's a thing. They have like no announcement. There's like a tweet that they're like, oh, we have a thing, but there's like no guide, no documentation on how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And one of my coworkers showed us. Like on a call, I'm like, oh, dude, how did you do this thing? I'm like looking everywhere. There's no docs. There's one tweet that mentions the thing at all. Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, no, it's this one tab up in the right hand corner. It's called assistant. Yep. And then you add a key. And I'm like, not very intuitive. Like, I, I get it, but there's like tons of tabs. So how would I have known that assistance tab? Yeah. And how did you find this out? But then when I YouTube that, no one had a video of it. No one explained it. It was like, they've only had it around for like a, about a year, but it seems like it's been like very much. Beta or even alpha, yeah, which is part of the reason why there's no docs. But yeah, it was just like mind blowing. I'm like, oh, if I knew that tab was there,
0: I love that example because so I feel like this happens to me like several times a day where I'm like, whatever the software I'm using, I'm like, I wish it had Atlas because it's just like I can't figure out how to do a thing. And I I love the example because so assistance is like the copy that they have on the button, the UX copy there. And one of the things that I like kind of experienced when I was at Heap is that. UX copywriting is like really freaking hard. Like, yes. <laughs> like putting putting the right text on the buttons and like tooltips and like app sections so that people can like scan the screen quickly and like kind of move in the right direction towards their the task they want to accomplish. It's like crazy hard. Like we we did this user research thing where it took us weeks for us to figure out that, oh, like our we call our data visualizations graphs, but like people think about them as charts. Like that's the language that they use, so we need to like update all of our buttons so that when they're scanning the page, they're just like, "Oh yeah, I want the chart." Like that's like what they'll see, and that was kind of the the problem with in your case is like assistance is just that didn't map onto your your vocabulary of the task you wanted to accomplish. And again, this is where LLMs are really interesting. Is like LLMs are really good at language and like yeah. translating between your language that you have for describing your task. And maybe the language that's used in the application. So I think UX copy is going to be really important for new users who like don't even know what they don't know. They don't have a task in mind they want to accomplish. They're just clicking around and exploring. And so like the practice of you know UX copywriting is still going to be really important for them. But for people who have already used the application and they have a task in mind that they want to do, people like you, like if you could just type in, you know, generate SQL or whatever, yeah, and then get jumped to the page where you can do that. Like, that's going to be the way that people use software.
1: Yeah. And that would be a magical experience because I was Googling a bunch of random stuff like yeah. Table Plus, OpenAI, Table Plus, chat, <laughs> generate SQL, looking for other tools that did the same thing. Cause I know there's quite a few tools out there that are starting this process of building this. And man, it was just like, I could not get to what I needed to get to just by Googling. Let alone, I don't. I don't think I tried ChatGPT to be like, "Hey, how do I generate SQL?" Sure. So basically, the use case is actually I used ChatGPT, added my schema as like a "Here's my schema, generate SQL to solve this problem." Right. And uh, it was a great experience, uh, but I needed it like closer to my pain point. Right. I'm thinking out loud because like if if I could Google my way into like I need to solve this problem, and like maybe there's like an Atlas link that uh, gives me like a dashboard that shows me a bunch of different roadmaps.
0: I love that. Yeah. Like a deep, like almost like a deep link or something like that that you could get to from Google. I've definitely thought about this, right? Because like we, one of the things we're trying to figure out is, you know, we're super early, right? Like, but what the, like a key thing we're trying to figure out is how do you invoke Atlas inside of the application?
1: Yeah.
0: Because there's, there's not like, how does it get surfaced? Because the muscle memory for everybody is just to go to Google, right? Like if you don't know how to do something in a piece of software, you're going to Google kind of immediately. And so it's a hard problem to change the behavior there. And so I had this exact thought. I was like, "What if you, we can keep the behavior the same, where you still go to Google, but we somehow augment the Google results so that you can get these these like Atlas deep links back into the application that will show you how to do the thing? So like we could do it as like a Chrome plugin or something like that." Yeah. But I think you you did ask a question earlier about like how does this even work? Like how do we interface the application? Right.
1: Yeah. So, what, what's the what's the? I know you're super early, but like, what's the the interaction? How to is am I signing up the Atlas and I'm adding it to like some endpoints or into my UI itself?
0: Yeah. So it's it's actually right now it's not like API based. So basically, we build a map of your application. Like this is in the you know this is in the name Atlas, right? Like, and so like essentially what's happening is like there's a crawler that's like clicking around your application with those interactions. It's building a map. Of like all the different destinations in your application, what's possible, how to move between different places, and then that's the thing that's kind of like processed by the LLM for like you know getting you to the right place.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess what stage are you at right now, and like, can folks use it? Yeah. Uh, like, can we sign up today, or do we have to get on the waiting list?
0: Unfortunately, not. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a waiting list. So we actually just Friday we like demoed this working on top of GitHub. I'll put the link to it, but like you can see kind of how this works on top of GitHub. And if you want to try it out, join the waitlist. But oh, we're hoping to have like a self serve launch very soon.
1: Excellent. Yeah. So I, I did want to ask a question we kind of already started talking to this, but like the future of LLMs and like we, we now have like a paved path thanks to like OpenAI and a few other folks who are just like quickly iterating and taking tons of funding. Yeah. Are we moving into a world where like now we can have? Like large language models of our niche experiences, and how is this going to surface in like applications moving forward? Like we have Atlas, uh, so onboarding (laughs) checked, but like what do you what do you see the um, like the future of LMs like really impacting like uh, the future of development?
0: Yeah, the obvious thing like future of development obviously you have things like your your pilots or whatever, right? Where where you're getting you know like lots of code generated uh, kind of for free. I think I saw an event where it was like ceo of github was like ah, 80% of the the code in your typical saas application is open source we think that 80% of the code in future applications will be ai generated uh, like this is like the kind of the next step for them so i think there is i think there's something to that and i think it's like one of the more promising areas
1: of 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 llms do you know airplane uh, no i don't know airplane
0: so airplane.dev it's it's similar to retool but the, the founder of, of Airplane was tweeting about he, he kind of had this like framework for predicting where LLMs will be most impactful. And I think like the framework's a little bit old, but even with some of the recent advancements, like it still applies. Basically, he says, like, if there's a workflow where you can leverage something like GPT or an LLM, and you have an opportunity to edit or review the output before like going live any workflow like that is going to be disrupted by, by GPT. So like coding is obviously an example, but there are others like copywriting, like UX copywriting even, right? Like there's any instance where you can, you can still be a human in the loop, like it's just going to be transformed by, by GPT. I think that's even more true with, you know, some of the like custom GPT stuff that we saw come out with Deb Day and like, you know, as these models get better. I will say, I am there-ish On like some of the like, like the improvements in reasoning capabilities of these LLMs, like I know that there's some progress being made there, and like OpenAI is like hiring the big guns to get people to work on this kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, I'm I'm a little little bearish on whether we'll be able to make drastic progress on like the reasoning problem. Like, an interesting person to look at there is um, Gary Marcus. He's like pretty articulate about why. The existing approach may not work. I think like he may be a little overly confident in like the the declaration that it won't work because it's like the fact is like there's a lot we don't understand about the human brain. For example, I was just thinking like hallucination like for humans like hallucination is a problem for LLMs and it's also a problem for humans. Like when we're hallucinating, there are just like certain parts of the brain that are not working properly. But it's it's not that there's like something fundamentally different. That needs to happen with the brain for those to go away. It's just like certain things are shut off, and it's like you might be able to say something similar about LLMs, where it's like need more neurons, like so that like the hallucinations don't happen. Yeah,
1: but yeah, yeah. I, I'm finding that folks, as, as the LLMs, they niche down into like specialization. Yeah, there's a there's a way to combat against hallucinations and like have some integrity on the data. Sure. Candidly, we're working on something in the open source space um, that's going to be servicing data with an open source. Uh, And with what we're working on our expertise for open source, like the hallucination things come up, and uh, we have a a really clever way to to circumvent that stuff. So uh, stay tuned in February when we actually launch this thing. But yeah, yeah, it's I'm just like I'm fascinated, but also I'm appreciative of all the work that's been done at all these larger companies, and well, they're all large now. uh, They take a ton of money because I get the benefit, like as developers and folks that like that build things. We get to reap the benefits and be close to the solutions. So, like, if I'm installing an NPM package, OpenAI, and adding my tokens, like, I'm off to the races and I don't have to do a, what a six year PhD stint of learning ML. Like, now yeah. I'm, this, I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. So,
0: yeah, I, there's, there's actually two references that, like, in connection with that, that, like, support that experience. So, one is there's a VC, um, I think it's like Theorem Capital or something like this, something similar. Where they they published a post called AI is having a twilio moment. This is a little bit old. You might have seen it. Uh, yes. okay. But it's like, it's exactly what you just described, right? Like twilio made it easy for like ordinary developers to create these like SMS experiences. And now it's something similar is happening with AI. And then the other thing that I saw was there's a big AI guy, um, Santiago, that's actually based in Miami. He was saying on LinkedIn, he's like, I actually don't recommend that people study math anymore if they want to get into, like, AI and machine learning. Like, he's like, that recommendation was relevant, like, 10 years ago. It's not now. Like, you can get really... He basically says, like, start building something that you care about. There's going to be gaps in your knowledge, mathematical gaps. Fill the gaps and then get back to building. That's, like, his advice. And I think that seems right to me. Like, I kind of broke into machine... I have a mathematics minor. And, like, that was kind of enough. I, like, have the math minor. I, like... Got a couple of data science textbooks and like you know took a couple of MOOCs on machine learning and like that was enough for me to break into data science at Heap and I'm off to the races you know building stuff.
1: Wow, amazing, cool. Well, I I feel like there's that's definitely a paid path for me now and uh, I've been doubling down on this knowledge and trying to yeah be well educated but also not have to be well educated uh, and <laughs> right. this uh in this space and yeah just super happy to read the benefits. I did want to transition us to picks. Uh, so these are Jam Picks. Uh, appreciate you coming and sharing a bit about what you're working on, at Atlas. Uh, folks, join Atlas.ai is the mm-hmm. URL. Keep an eye on that that URL, and uh, perhaps you'll be able to embed some pretty pretty wonderful onboarding experiences into your applications pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, so, Matt, Jam Picks are things that we're jamming on. These are things that could be music, could be food related, technology, all of the above is on point uh, for this portion of the podcast. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll go first. I've got a pick that I, I sort of also mentioned to you before we re- hit record, which is Detroit-style pizza. I've been on a kick of, like, it's, it's getting cold out here, so I've been baking a lot more. I was watching a YouTube video and learned about pizza rolls. Uh, like, not Tostina's pizza rolls, but, like, pizza rolls in, like, West Virginia. Turns out it's, like, a, a, a coal miner go-to food. Uh, folks who are in that, that region are probably like, yeah, of course, these things are underwhelming. Um, <laughs> but I made them last weekend for my kids, which are... Just like if you think of pizza rolls, like mozzarella, pepperoni wrapped into basically pizza dough, an amazing little snack. So now I'm on the kick of making my own Detroit-style pizza. And uh, the, the history of this, and I was kind of explaining this before we hit record on the podcast, uh, Detroit Oil Pans, uh, Motor City, uh, they'd make focaccia bread and pizza uh, within like these thick... Steel pans. I don't think they're actually the same pans you catch oil in, but it was the same sort of material. Hopefully not. Yeah, no, that definitely cleaned out. Actually, I think the pans were actually not oil pans. They were pans that carried the all the machinist parts. So that, that's what they originally were. Amazing pizza. It's definitely got like a huge uptick in the in the US, at least in the West Coast, uh, where it's a combination hot honey. Mike's hot honey is like the, the other combination combo piece that everyone uses. Um, so I am now making. That stuff, and I'm looking forward to slinging pizzas uh, during during the Christmas season.
0: Nice, yeah, I love that pick. I we were talking about how like I just recently discovered detroit house pizza, and I was born in Detroit, but I like you know it's like becoming a thing now, and uh, yeah, it's pretty neat.
1: Yeah, also Little Caesar is based out of Detroit, and uh, the guy who created it was like a former Detroit Tigers baseball player. And
0: no kidding. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so that was like the my first intro to Detroit style pizza was when they did like the um, they did like the Super Bowl promotion when they'd have like a ten yard pizza or something like that. Yeah, quite silly, but it was basically Detroit style pizza. I did have another pick which is relevant to what we were talking about with onboarding. I did a talk at the Heavy Bit uh, years ago back in the day about onboarding and we talked actually talked about github and some of the pain points of of github's onboarding and how it was really guides created by community members sure uh, and github has actually created a whole team after that of uh, they called the new user onboarding uh, squad yeah and they were just like helped that experience of giving giving people a little bit of breadcrumbs to understand how to get unblocked um so timely since you, you just recently did that stream on, on github as well on uh, for this like two-factor authentication stuff but yeah. GitHub's a power tool and there's always gonna be a thing that no one knows how to do or you didn't know it was existed in the application. Yeah. And like I think even Atlas could even help unveil some of the things that got shipped in the last 10 years that maybe you didn't see or weren't aware or could be increase your productivity. So it's like more of like uh what is that Easter egg hunt of like, hey, here's a cool thing you didn't know. Uh, I imagine a lot of other companies would benefit from that as well.
0: Yeah, that's another thing that we're thinking about. Like, this is like how LLMs will change UIs a little bit, is like right now. You ship a new feature, like the kind of state of the art is like almost spamming your users with like some sort of feature announcement banner. Like they log in, and it's like we shipped a new thing, and like you can try and segment your user base so that you're not spamming them. But like the best way that you can like surface features that are salient for them is to actually look at their previous usage. Yeah, like look at what they've interacted with before, and so like one one of the things that we're thinking about is like look at all the usage data, look at everything they've interacted with before, feed that to an LLM, and then use that as a filter on whether you actually announce a particular feature. Like, whether you hit them with that announcement banner. That's, like, something that that's yeah.
1: what we're thinking about. That sounds like a billion-dollar idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing that I wanted to quickly say is, like, like onboarding is, like, kind of the right way to think about this, or it's how I was thinking about it, like, even when we spoke a month ago. But, like, I think it's a little bit broader than that. Because if you think about so think about the, the physical world. Like, If you could teleport in the in the physical world, like you wouldn't drive, right? Like you wouldn't like take these intermediate steps. Like, even if you know how to get there, it's not really about onboarding like your first time there. It's just like you would just teleport, right? Yeah. And it's like, I think there's something similar you can say about Atlas, where it's like, it's not just about the first time you need to get to that two-factor authentication screen. Like you know where it is after Atlas shows you, but like you don't really want to like take the intermediate steps to get there anymore. Like you just want to go there, teleport immediately, right? So it's like. It's this like deeper way that we interact with software that's changing. I think. So I'll finally get to my pick now. Yes, please. Well, you had two. Can I have two?
1: Yeah, you can have two. Feel free, unlimited.
0: So what I, I mentioned Gary Marcus earlier. Like I said, like I think some of his stuff is like a little bit overstated or overconfident, but I think he's like a very important voice for anybody who's thinking about LLMs. Like he's like the skeptical voice. Like there's so you have like some people are like really hyped and then some people are maybe a little bit a little bit too skeptical maybe and like if you're listening just to the overhype you're going to not be balanced right you're going to be on the hype side so like counterbalancing that with a skeptical voice I think is incredibly useful um, so anything Gary Marcus says is really interesting he actually founded a couple of companies like that are focused on machine learning and AI one of which sold to Uber he's like a cognitive scientist guy at NYU he like understands how the brain works and stuff just like an accomplished dude says interesting things uh, so that's, that's one pick Gary Marcus the other one, I have a three-year-old. She's getting into Pixar shorts. Okay. And uh, like, you know, the little like six-minute things before Pixar movies? Yeah. And one that I'd never seen before is called La Luna. And it's, it's really good.
1: I'm familiar.
0: Um, you're familiar, yes. yeah. It's, it's like really nice. Um, so I recommend it, especially for people who have kids. It's like a good thing to watch with your kids, I think. My interpretation, maybe you could weigh in here if you've seen it. It's about like kids needing to find their own way Like that's like, it's like a metaphor for like, we're adults, we're parents, like we have this kind of generational way of thinking and like the kids need to find their own way. There's like new stuff that's going to happen to them and they need to figure it out and like not necessarily listen to us. And I think that's like a cool message for kids.
1: Yeah, that kind of sums it up. But I think a lot of the shorts recently have been in that vein. Pixar is actually out here. Uh, I'm in Oakland, but Emerville the next city over. Oh, nice. And uh, I have friends of friends of the folks who have been writing a lot of the new shorts and the new movies. And uh, I think what it is is like a lot of the millennials, because uh, it all folks like, I assume you're a millennial within the range. Yeah. A lot of the folks are millennials who are, are coming of age and have stories to share. And I, that's what I appreciate about. Pixar itself. It's all about, you know, pulling out the heartstrings, but also relevant commentary about life stories that aren't always going to be like, you know, another team movie. It's, it's, it's like, Movie for kids telling these stories. So, uh, yeah. So, I've been super impressed with what they put out. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, I, I love this conversation. I love your picks too, as well. Uh, I think we could talk probably for another hour. Perhaps we have part two uh, sometime in the new year uh, when, when you guys go live and folks can start embedding this in their products. Yeah. Thanks for chatting.
0: All right. Thanks for having me. This was great.
1: And uh, folks, keep spreading the jam. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. The show is brought to you by HeavyBit, the leading investor and developer for startups. To learn more by HeavyBit, visit heavybit.com.